0: Annie Duke, the author of Quit, The Power of Knowing When to Walk Away. Annie, you've got uh, a a great resume here. You're an author, a speaker. Uh, Explain this one. You're the special partner focused on decision science at First Round Capital Partners. What is that?
1: (laughs) Well, First Round Capital Partners is a seed stage venture fund. So they fund companies kind of at the earliest round that a venture firm would come in um i've been working with them for about four years and really what i work with them on is their decision processes uh um using science-backed methods right understanding uh the work from cognitive science decision making group decision making and changing the way that they make decisions the way that they think about data uh, the way that they uh track their portfolio and try to figure out whether you know, how their decision-making is mapping on to the performance of their portfolio companies. And so all things decision science related, uh, I'm involved with and have been for about four years. I love it. It's kind of like playing poker, but in this totally fun win-win situation, Uh, the people there are amazing. And I'm very honored to be able to have that role.
0: Now, you mentioned poker. We should mention that Annie, and this is right here on your your uh, resume here, any one more than $4 million in tournament poker before retiring from the game in well, 20, 10 years ago, do you still play poker?
1: Oh, no, I, I not really. I mean, I play a little bit for like charity events, but I play almost no poker. Now I spend my time uh, with clients. I write books this, you know, I, uh, since retiring from poker, I've written thinking of bets, how to decide. And then my latest book now quit the power of knowing when to walk away um, and I also teach. So I teach at the university of Pennsylvania at the Wharton school and executive ed, and I do research there. And so I don't know, really, I'm not sure where I'd fit the poker in anymore. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it gets people's attention anyway. And that's what you need, yeah. um, you know, at all times to get the message out. Now we're talking about decision science with Annie Duke, author of quit and, and- You know, explain this to me. You know, there's a right time to quit. I mean, how do people know that? I guess that's your whole deal. But uh, explain to us, you know, what your thoughts are on, you know, maybe misconceptions about quitting, because most of the time people say, oh, he quit. She quit. Uh, That's a negative.
1: So I think that there's a couple of misconceptions. I mean, the, the first is just generally what you just said, that we think about quitting as such a negative thing to do. Like, if I call you a quitter, I'm insulting you, Steve. Right, I'm, right. I'm kind of calling you a loser, but the thing is like, it's obvious that there are lots of situations in which you should quit. <clears throat> like, um, you know, if you get a, a concussion in the middle of a football game, obviously you should walk off the field, right? Like right. then you should quit. If you're in a job and uh, you're miserable and, you know, uh, your boss is toxic. I hope that you quit uh, in right. your, in your, you know, there's, there's so many different situations under which it would be correct to quit. Um, and yet we think that quitting is a negative, which really kind of in part biases um, us against it. So, you know, I think that that's something that's incredibly important to understand. And then uh, another misconception that I think is so important to for us to really kind of like get under our belts is that we think that quitting is going to slow our progress down. That's going to kind mm-hmm. of stop us in our tracks. But actually, when you quit well, it gets you to where you want to go faster, And that's because whenever you're doing something that isn't worthwhile, that's not working out, that is time that you cannot spend doing something that would be better. I mean, we all have goals that we're trying to achieve. And if the path that you're on is not allowing you to gain ground toward those goals or causing you to make very slow progress and compared to other things you could be doing, then you ought to switch to go do something that would actually cause you to gain more ground toward your goals. So when you quit at the right time, quitting actually gets you to achieve your goals more quickly. So when we say like winners never quit, quitters never win, that's completely absurd. Winners quit a lot. It's part of why they win because they quit all the stuff that isn't working out so that they can stick to the things that are.
0: Very good. Now, we're talking with Annie Duke about her book, Quit, The Power of Knowing When to Walk Away. And you mentioned Sears, the store Sears uh, in your book. Um, what What is the, the connection there with quitting and Sears?
1: Yeah. So there's lots of things that bias us against quitting, right? Like, I mean, there's just the fact that if I said, if I call you a quitter, I'm calling you a loser. Um, mm-hmm. There's also like when you quit, that's the moment that you can't recover the cause, like that you're admitting it's not going to work out. You're kind of admitting defeat. But there's another piece that's really important to understand about what makes it hard for us to quit. And that's because the things we do and the things we believe become part of our identity. And so if we quit those things, we're kind of having to quit who we are. So the question is, what on earth does that have to do with Sears? Well, you know, um, you're familiar with Sears. I'm sure it's a big retail company. Um, Started off as a catalog company, the Book of Bargains, 512 pages then started opening retail location physical stores by 1950 sears represented 1% of the us gross national product it was a huge store but then we all right. kind of know what happened by by the 90s you know walmart and target and kmart have kind of pushed sears out of the way um and then there's also higher end retailers like nordstroms that are also causing problems for sears and sears just like can't find its place in the retail market anymore um, the, the companies, you know, the stores start to lose money, uh, by the 2000s, it gets acquired by somebody and then quickly goes bankrupt. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, that's the story we all know about Sears. The thing that people don't know about Sears, and I'm interested if you knew this, Steve, did you know that Sears founded a company called Allstate Insurance? <laughs>
0: I guess I didn't. No, No. the connection is vaguely familiar, but no, I forgot about that one. Yeah.
1: Right. So they did that in the 30s because people were driving cars to their retail locations and somebody who was very smart said we should sell them insurance. So they literally had insurance agents like in their retail stores. So you could buy like pots and pans and insurance for your car in the same location. Anyway, Allstate obviously ended up being really great. Uh, they expanded out from car insurance to all personal liability. They're actually the largest insurer uh, in the United States of personal liability. Um, um, but then they also, Sears also separate and apart from, from uh, Allstate Insurance, also uh, owned a company called Dean Witter, which was a very big stockbroker bridge um morgan stanley ended up acquiring them and it was like 40 percent of morgan stanley's worth they also founded the discover card coldwell banker so they had this huge financial services um business which obviously like i'm telling you all these companies they still exist today they're very successful i think the market cap of all state is something like 40 billion dollars um, so then the question becomes, well, wait a minute, how come Sears went broke? That doesn't make any sense because they had all these valuable assets. Well, what happened was in the 90s when the retail locations started to really falter and that was losing that part of the business was losing money, uh, shareholders were demanding action. And then the board went and decided what they were going to do. And what they said was, this is a quote, we're going to get back to our retailing roots. So they decided when it was a choice about kind of what to stick with and what to quit. They decided to quit the financial services business in the sense that they sold all of those assets off in order to try to save what was clearly a failing retail business. And then we know what right. happened from there. Those things thrived and Sears went went bankrupt. So the question is, why would they do that? Because looking from the outside in, it seems clear, like keep all state insurance and sell your retail locations that nobody wants to go to anymore. And the reason right. is it has to do with that retailing roots. It's because Sears was a retail company. It was part of who they were. It was their identity. And so that's mm-hmm. why they couldn't quit. And what happens to Sears happens to all of us. Our careers become part of our identity. The things we believe become part of our identity. These are all things that are very hard for us to walk away from.
0: That's, that's interesting. And that's, and that's very enlightening because, yeah, you, now as you recount what you just did, I'm thinking, serious, boy, they were successful right. in, in all in sending up all those other businesses. they just uh, failed at the one that they started with, yeah, um, when they were faced we're with this really with,
1: big quitting decision, they quit the wrong stuff.
0: Well, that's it. uh we're talking with Annie Duke about quitting, four key strategies for becoming a better quitter if you would let's let's just go over those briefly. kill criteria, the quitting coach, which I think is fascinating constant exploration of backup plans and the monkeys versus pedestals (laughs) mental model. (laughs) You want to start with that one? Sure.
1: (laughs) So look, one of the things that makes it really hard for us to quit is the time and effort or money that we've put into something. Like, have you ever heard someone where like they're in a really bad relationship and they're complaining to you about it and you say, well, why don't you break up with them? And they say, because I put Mm -hmm. so much time into this already. Right. No, and the, yeah. the, the, right, So that's a fallacy because it doesn't matter if you've already put time into it. It's is the next, you know, is the time that you're going to put into it in the future worthwhile. Um, and so this is something called the sunk cost fallacy that causes us to stick. So one mm-hmm. of the ways to help us be better quitters is actually to reduce the effort and the time and the money that we put into something before we, you know, before we figure out that it, it really, we ought to be walking away. And that's where monkeys and pedestals come in. And it's very simple. This comes from Astoteller Teller over at X at Google, which is the in-house innovation hub. Um, imagine you're trying to train a monkey to juggle flaming torches while standing on a pedestal. So Steve, you'd make a lot of money if you could figure out that act, right? <laughs> like,
0: You'd really? go out to the
1: town square and people would uh-huh. be throwing dollars at you, you know? So, yeah. all right. So if, If you're going to approach that project, you have two things that you could do. One is you could start off building the pedestal. And the other is you could start off training the monkey to juggle the flaming torches. And what monkeys and pedestals tell you is monkey first. Like you have to try to juggle, get the monkey to juggle the flaming torches before you build the pedestal. Why? Well, because if you can't get the monkey to juggle, there's no point in having the pedestal. Right? Right. Like. Right. The problem uh-huh. the problem is not the pedestal. You already know you can build the pedestal. The problem is the monkey right. and the flaming torches. So uh, start with the hard part of the problem first and avoid pedestal building, which really is false progress because you already know you can do it and there's no point in it anyway. But when you think about right. the way that people approach projects, what do they always say? What's the low-hanging fruit? Let's tackle that first.
0: Uh-huh right? Yep.
1: But the low hanging fruit by definition is stuff that you already know you can do. It's pedestal building. And what happens is when you approach problems that way, you start to put time and effort and money into things. You start to create ownership over the things that you've created. You start to become like Sears, right? Like it's my pedestal. Right. So I don't want to give this project up. Um, and then it just makes it harder to quit things when you find out that the monkey isn't something that you can actually get to juggle.
0: Um, what about a quitting coach? What's that about?
1: So, okay. I'm sure that you have friends where you've seen them in dead end jobs or pursuing projects that are clearly failing or in relationships that, you know, they should walk away from and you can see it, but they can't. Right. So if that's the case, guess what? There are people who are looking at you who can see it when you can't. So Mm -hmm. go find those people and get them to help you with quitting. Because the problem is that, you know, when you think about something like time and energy into a relationship, that's your time and energy, not somebody else's. So you're trying to protect yourself from the feeling of having failed. Um, But they're looking at it more objectively from the outside looking in. So go find those people to help you with the quitting decisions. So when you're trying to decide whether to stick or quit, find somebody who has enough expertise to be able to give you advice, who has your best interest at heart. It could be a mentor. It could be a friend. It could be a therapist, Right. And get them to help you with the decision about whether to walk away, because they'll probably see it more clearly than you do.
0: And, and kill criteria, I presume, is those things that you are analyzing or reviewing um, to, to make that decision.
1: Well, yeah, a little, although there's a twist to it, which is uh, kill criteria, okay. ask you to do this in advance. So one of the problems ah. we have is that we think um, that when the world tells us that we should quit, we'll pay attention right like if you're running a mm-hmm. marathon and you break your leg at mile 8 we have the intuition that we'll we'll stop running it turns out that people run under continue and finish the race under those circumstances all the time right so we sort mm-hmm. of think like when we go into a relationship if if things you know if things turn poorly like obviously i'm going to walk away or we go into a job and we say if leadership changes and it's toxic clearly we're going to walk away but we actually don't, we're not very good at walking away in the moment. So what kill criteria asks you to do is imagine what those signals are. Like when you start something, Think about what could be true in the future. What are the signals that I might see in the future that would tell me that I should walk away? Write that list down and commit to walk away when you see them. I know it doesn't sound like much of a difference doing it in advance or trusting yourself to pay attention in the moment, but it actually is a huge difference. The science shows that thinking about this stuff in advance really matters. So an example would be if you have an employee who who isn't performing and you go to have that discussion with them that things aren't going well, Don't just have the discussion and and sort of say, like, things aren't going well. And they say, oh, I think I can turn it around. Actually sit down with them and say, in the next six weeks, here's what I expect to see from you. This is what needs to Uh, change. And write those mm -hmm. things down with the employee. And then you're more likely to get to that decision to to let them go earlier than you otherwise would have, which is going to be not just good for your business, but honestly good for the employee who's in a position that isn't a good fit for them.
0: Annie, one more thing, and that's uh, your your uh, alliance for decision education. Is there, and I'm assuming that's just following kind of some of the items you've brought up here in in this little talk, um, helping people make decisions. Uh, is there a website, or how does somebody get more information? They yeah, you can just
1: Google the alliance. That for,
0: yeah,
1: just Google the Alliance for Decision Education. It will come up. What we're trying to do is take the kinds of things that we're teaching adults about a uh, great decision making and bring that into every K through 12 classroom in the country. So you can kind oh. of think about it less trigonometry and a little bit more like teaching kids how to make good decisions because, um, hey, I'm for
0: that. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, the problem is, you know, the reason why we do trigonometry is we think if we teach people to do hard problems, they'll become gritty and, uh, you know, and they'll be become better thinkers. But the evidence from the you know since the early 1900s is that that's actually not true. Um, and what we ought to be doing is trying to teach people how do you think about information? How do you know what's true and what's not true? What's fake and what's what's real? Um, if you do that, how do you structure a decision that you can make good decisions for yourself as an individual? Because we believe that better decisions lead to better lives, and obviously better lives lead to a better society. And so we want to get in early, you know, starting in kindergarten, and have kids be getting some sort of decision education every year all the way through through high school. So uh, we think that that would really improve the world.
0: Well, I, I agree, and I, I'm just thinking as as you're speaking... Yeah, helping people decide what's real and what's not real has probably never been more important. I um, think that that's true, certainly. particularly
1: uh, with the internet, you know, because there, there's so much misinformation right. on the internet and, and learning how to sort through that stuff we think is a critical skill.
0: Annie Duke, the book is The Power of Knowing When to Walk Away. We thank you. And uh, we're going to quit right now, but that's a good thing, right?
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. Thank you.
0: <laughs> Thanks Annie.
1: All right. Thank you.
0: Bye-bye.